I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Did you ever have a, f- have a favorite blanket? Do you have a favorite now? You know what I mean. A blanket that provides the perfect amount of comfort. Maybe it has some personal significance to you. Was it handmade by a friend or a loved one? My favorite blank- blanket was made by my grandmother. A beautiful knit blanket made out of bright yellow, green, pink, and lavender yarn. I don't know when she made it, but I know she made it with love. Knitting and crochet are a particular type of fiber art. It's an interesting term, but what does it mean? What are the fiber arts? My next guests are local fiber artists who are here to let us know more about their craft. Rin M.O. is a yarn dyer and owner of Modus Operandi. Erica Huntley is the owner of Knitting in the Good and also a yarn dyer. And Deb Peterson is the owner of Bliss Yarns. Rin, Deb, Erica, thank you all so much for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you. Really a pleasure to have you. Okay, so what is fiber art? Rin, can you can you tell us what fiber art is to you? Uh, so I think I thought it was one thing when I first started, and it's become so much more. Okay. Um, I think when I started, it was really about knitting. Um, that's really what um, opened my world to the fiber arts. Um, and it's something that I've been doing since um, I was a teenager, but I really only learned in college when a friend taught me. Um, and so uh, it's always been something that's um, felt like a connecting thing to other people too. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I got into knitting, I started being interested in in dyeing yarn and in spinning yarn and in weaving yarn. And um, so I think it's become a whole lot more, but uh, knitting and dyeing is definitely uh, what I do most of now. Okay, Deb, last year we aired an episode of This is Nashville on textile art. Is that and fiber art, are they the same thing? I would say that they're definitely intertwined. Okay. I like Rin. I was introduced to fiber when I was six years old. I learned to crochet from my grandmother and I didn't learn to knit until I was 23 years old. But uh, I can say that it's uh knitting, crocheting, it's felting, it's spinning, it's weaving, it's using the fabric, like textiles, I would say, like you you create your fabric by weaving it. Maybe you've also spun the wool and you create a fabric and then you make garments with it or blankets or something. Um, I think they're, they're connected to one another, fiber arts and textiles, definitely. Now, I want to like I want to hear about your specialties a little bit, Erica. Do you knit? Do you crochet? Or do you do a little bit of both? I primarily knit. I learned to crochet first whenever I was a kid, so I may have been maybe nine or so. Uh, and my cousin taught me to crochet. I was always into crafty things and art, so I would dabble in anything. Uh, But then as an adult, my grandmother knit, and so when she was visiting, um, I asked her to teach me, so she taught me to knit, and then the rest was history on on that. I really fell in love with knitting. Now, is it easy to learn how to knit and crochet? I'm curious about that. I'd love to hear from all three of you. We teach people to crochet and knit every day at the shop, and I would say... That's one question we get where someone will come in and they'll say, okay, I'm retired now or I have all this time. I want to either crochet or knit. What what do you suggest? So I think one's just as easy as the other. It's just that knitting has two uh, 
implements that you're using, mm-hmm. and a crochet is just a hook, so it's one. Um, they're similar but different, and I can say by learning how to crochet first, it was a real easy transition for me to go to knitting because I already knew how to carry the yarn in my hand. Um, I had a good tension on it, and so you can kind of move into knitting you know, easily. How much patience is required to just even enjoy the craft in itself? Rin, I mean, have you ever had frustrating moments when you're working on a project? Oh, so many frustrating moments. Um, but that's that's definitely part of it, right? Is uh, part of it is being okay, being bad at it at first. And and that's true for that was true for knitting for me. That's been true for dyeing and um, you get better and better over time, um, but you still make mistakes and sometimes you leave them in the project and that's just a part of the project. And mm-hmm. sometimes you have to do something called frogging, which is where you <laughs> pull it all back. And um, sometimes I'm working on really simple projects that are really mindless and feel really calming. And sometimes I pick up a more complicated project that kind of challenges me and there might be some swearing involved, <laughs> but I, I really enjoy it regardless. So. Erica, do you find it to be kind of a meditative practice a little bit? I do. And that's what um, really got me into it more seriously after I kind of just dabbled here and there and made a couple of small projects. I really found that it was very meditative, very therapeutic. And so I kind of turned to it as a stress relief and um, I have four kids now. So the more kids I had, the more knitting I did. So mm-hmm. when we would put them down to bed and even if I had 30 minutes uh, before I crashed, I could pick up my knitting needles and knit. Um, and that was a way to just clear my mind and um, just the rhythmic motion of the knitting and the feeling of the yarn and all of that, it has a very therapeutic effect. And there's been lots of studies on that of lowering your blood pressure and just what it does to your um, mental uh, positive impact to your mental health. Um, So there can be the frustrating times too, though, and especially starting out. And I think one thing when people are learning is if they have the right expectations of, I'm not going to go and make a sweater today on my lesson. Or when people say, well, what am I going to make? It's like, if you put that out of your mind and just say, I'm just going to learn how to do the techniques. I'm going to learn how to do the stitches. So if I make mistakes, it's no big deal. But when people start to learn and they think, okay, I'm going to make this X, Y, or Z to wear, or I'm going to give it to somebody, then that makes it more stressful because you don't want to make mistakes. But if you go into it of, I'm just learning how to do these stitches and mistakes are okay, I think then people are much more relaxed and less likely to give up um, if they are making mistakes. Deb, do you find that? Do you find that that, at peace and serenity when you're working on a project? I do. And, you know, even though I'm at the shop every day and we're you know, we're a busy retail shop, but we offer help on your projects as well. And we do a lot of classes and lessons. Um, I do have to go home at night and after, <laughs> now we're empty nesters, but mm. uh, once the house is quiet and um, I can put on something on the television, I may not be looking at it, but I'm listening. And I do have to have at least at, le- at least an hour of knitting to kind of end my day and calm myself. Hmm. And as far as like people coming in and you're right, people are very anxious to create a sweater immediately, but we usually just have them 
like you, Erica, just we cast get them cast on and just let them feel the uh, the rhythm of the knitting stitch and then the purl stitch and the yarn. We try to give them something that's um, that feels good in their hand. And we always say, like, once you've knitted with good yarn, it's like, you you know, you kind of stuck with that. <laughs> yeah, I do want to, we're going to talk a little bit later in the show about the yarn. I want to find out the difference between mm-hmm. good yarn and you know, not so quality yeah. yarn yeah. and whatnot. But I, I'm kind of interested in, like, the starter kit. What do I need to begin knitting efficiently? A set, okay. of, set of knitting needles and some yarn for the most part. That's it. Um some scissors, some, um, and maybe a called a darning needle to weave in your ends. But really, I think that's one of the attractive things about it is you don't need a lot of supplies. Um, so whenever you're getting started, as with a lot of arts or crafts, you may have to invest in a lot um, to get started. But I think knitting and crocheting, there's a very low entry to just get mm. started. Is that initial investment fairly inexpensive or...? Yeah, I would say um, definitely inexpensive just just to get yourself a set of knitting needles and some yarn. Okay. Curious about this. Rin, what's the most challenging project you've ever taken on? Oh, um, I, I think that right now it is a, um, it's a sweater that I'm knitting for my kid and it's color work. And so color work is when you're using more than one color at a time, which mm. there's a lot of different techniques around color work, but um, this one has some particularly long, what are called floats, um, because there is like a lot of space in between when you're using the two different colors, essentially. Um, and so you have to like work to keep the tension just right so that you're not getting like like lots of slack or too tense so that the color work comes out nice. And right now uh, I'm trying to make some dinosaurs. So it's wow. <laughs> it's a little complicated, but I, I really enjoyed it. it. It took me maybe about halfway through to really feel comfortable and get the hang of it. And um, but it's it's been a fun project. Now, now what do you mean by tension? Mm-hmm. So with tension, think of it as like. Um, uh, you know, honestly, Deb, you might be, you guys might be better at explaining this. I have to say, I love knitting, but I am not like the best knitter. Like I okay. just, I learn from, I still have to open up YouTube to remind me how to do certain things or like, oh wait, what's make one left? What's make one right? Like I love knitting, but, um, I think somebody else might be better to answer this question. Deb, talk, yeah. talk to us about tension. <laughs> okay. So tension is how you, the, the, t- the amount of taut tautness you have on the yarn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple different ways to knit. There's the English style where you, it's called like throwing. So if you're right-handed, you're carrying your yarn in the right hand and you're you're throwing it around the needle to create the stitch. Okay. Then there's one called continental. Some people refer to it as left-handed knitting or German style. And that's where you carry in the left hand and you do what's called a picking or a scooping of the stitch. So those tensions can be very different. And then your tension can be different from your knit stitches to your purl stitches. But it, it has everything to do with how, how tight are you holding that yarn in either hand when you create the stitch. And so that's why there are different size knitting needles. There are people who traditionally knit tight. So when they're making a pattern they're following, then we kind of all always get them on a larger needle. Mm-hmm. If people knit looser, we put them on a smaller needle, tighten it. But what Rin's talking about 
in fair isle knitting or stranded knitting and I saw her sweater. It's really, it looks great. I think your floats look amazing. Thank you. But she's talking about like, she's working a dinosaur and he's in green, for example. The sweater's gray and maybe she has to carry that green across 15 stitches to get to the next dinosaur. Okay. You you don't want to just drag that color green across the back. You you need to do uh, like catch the float occasionally across those 15 stitches so it doesn't, you know, like if your child puts the sweater on and runs his hand through that, if there's a big loop, then boom, you're pulling the, mm-hmm. the, the dinosaurs are going to disappear basically. Yeah. Um, okay. So there's, there's all kinds of things with tension. Um, and that's, that's something that you, especially in Fair Isle, that you come to as you work more, just like, just like knitting, you start out, you're kind of like, eh, you know, this doesn't look the best, but you stick to it and you fine tune it and you just get better. Now, would I want a lot of tension if I'm knitting a hat or a pair of socks, something that is going to fit to a f- particular form? Yes. So you're following a pattern. The pattern suggests you use a size seven knitting needle and, oh, by the way, we want this to be 20 stitches to four inches. That's how they'll give you the tension. It's over four inches. Mm. So we have you do what's called a swatch. And a swatch is a practice. Um, so you're using the suggested needle. You, we've given you yarn or you've purchased yarn that's, that's appropriate for it. And we measure your tension. And if your tension is, let's say, you're getting 18 stitches to 4 inches, if you went with that tension, your hat's going to be too big. Okay. So we would put you down a needle size until we get that tension. So when you're following a pattern, you definitely want to get the tension or gauge of that pattern for something to fit. It's critical for hats, mittens, uh, sweaters, garments of any kind. If it's a scarf or a cowl, for example, or something like a blanket or throw, it's not as critical. But at absolutely, if it's something it's going to put on your body to wear. Now, do you always have to do a swatch? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I never swatch. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> well, Erica, how about you? Do you swatch? Um, I occasionally swatch. Okay. Oh, my gosh, guys. Oh, wow. This is, <laughs> this is not best practice. Oh, I yeah. don't recommend it. <laughs> Breaking the Deb is correct. Deb is Deb correct, is though. You should every time. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, Erica, tell me, what are some of the biggest hurdles that beginners learn when trying to knit or crochet? Um, I think some of the biggest hurdles, one is just getting the muscle memory down. So, and and some people just naturally have um, better dexterity, I think. Mm. So you can sometimes see people who start to knit and they just take right off and they feel very comfortable with the knitting needles in their hands. And some people are a little, I'll use the word clumsier, but sometimes that's just because it's something new. So it's a new motion. Uh, It does feel clumsy if you've never held knitting needles and you're trying to tension your yarn and trying to do all of these things. And um, so I think the biggest hurdle, one, is just sticking with it long enough to get that muscle memory built and then also sticking with it long enough um, with the patients. Mm. One, the patients to just learn the foundations and be okay with the mistakes. It's rhythmic. You're using both yes. hands, almost like playing the drums, kind of. Yeah. It takes a lot of yeah. repetition, just anything that, yeah, anything that you would do physically like that, it, you know that it's going to take repetition and you're not going to go and 
whether it's playing a sport or an instrument, you're not going to go and do it one time and be like, okay, now I know how to do it or go and take one lesson and say, oh, now I know how to play the drums or I know how to, you might be able to know how to do the knit stitch, but you need to have that repetition and practice. And I tell a lot of people, like, if you just practice just for a few minutes every day and get that muscle memory built up, Mm -hmm. then you'll be able to uh, build on and and I think just not trying to do everything so fast, but just know that there's stepping stones of what to learn to build up to to be able to do more advanced things that they might be seeing of saying, I want to make this or that. You got to take it one step at a time and make sure that you do a swatch. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Listen to Deb. Listen, Listen to Deb and do a swatch. That's what we're going to do. Now let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll dive into the world of yarn and learn where it comes from and the very very particular art of yarn dyeing. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colona, and this is Nashville. Today we are talking about fiber arts. Crocheting and knitting are some of the more popular forms of this craft. An essential material for knitting and crocheting is yarn. That had us thinking, where do local fiber artists get their yarn? This is Nashville producers Elizabeth Burton and Magnolia McKay went out to learn where local yarn comes from. The yarn stash. Everyone who knits, crochets, weaves, or spins has one. And the more serious you are about your craft or your hobby, the more it matters to you what kind of yarn you have in your stash. So where do you get the good stuff? This, who is this right here? That's Asia. Asia. Now she's kind of giving us a look. It's like, don't come any closer. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like you stay over. We're at Hickory Bluff Farms with Ruth Fuquay, who owns and operates an alpaca farm with her husband, Bill located in Mount Juliet. Well, I'm just like kind of really taken aback by how many alpacas are here because I thought there were going to be like five. No. But there are (laughs) quite a few more than five. There are two barns. Um, This is our first barn here Mm -hmm. and there's 16 here and then at the second barn there are 15 down there. Let's go alpacas. This little brown guy is trying to say, hey, who is this? Annie. Annie? Yeah. Hey, girl. That's um, Stella. Hey, Stella. And that's, I have to think, Susie. Hey, girl. Then behind Stella is Serena, who's Susie's daughter. Behind her is Alyssa. And then behind her is Maybelle. These alpacas are clearly beloved members of the family. And it's just an added bonus that their fiber helps run Hickory Bluff Farm's small business. So how does fiber become yarn? Ruth is here to let us know. When it comes off the animal, it comes off as one alpaca at a time. So that's segregated by animal. Then I'll sort it, sort through that, and take out whatever grass or hay or whatever is in that clean it, but not wash it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, how do we get from 
alpaca to like green <laughs> striped self-striping like yellow and everything like because these guys are not these hands wow ruth told us that each year she ends up with about 200 pounds of fiber and she took us inside to see this spring's harvest like it's just right off the animal wow like can i touch it mm-hmm. once the fiber has been processed into yarn it's got to go somewhere Hickory Bluff is one of four local farms that supplies yarn to Sunshine Weaving and Fiber Arts, located in Lebanon. This is your outside thread. Bring it back up to the top position then. My name is Cynthia Rice, and I own Sunshine Weaving and Fiber Arts. It's going over. Once the yarn hits Sunshine shelves, it needs to be sold, and there are a lot of options available for how you might use your new yarn. They have a diverse range of classes, including a weaving class that was going on while I was talking with Cindy. Just just this, just Just this. Just this, it's messed up. Right, right, you don't have to do the whole. And they do things like knitting, crocheting, spitting, belting, and even tatting. Just using a little bitty device called a shuttle, and it, you use it to make little knots and you can make lace and all kinds of beautiful lacy items. You talk about a lost art. Nobody tats anymore. Mm-mm. I, I hadn't even heard of that. And yeah. if you don't want to pick up tatting, there's still lots of options for you in your brand new locally sourced yarn. Most of our shops offer classes for everyone from the beginner who's never even held a needle to the advanced artist who's been at it since they could walk. And once you get a little bit more comfortable with your craft, you might want to check out many of the groups here in Middle Tennessee dedicated to the love of fiber arts. All right, here we go. Cheers to knitting. That was Wayne and Jay Haas. They gather once a month at Sky King Pizza in Kingston Springs for you and company's monthly pizza party slash yarn night. It's a great opportunity for the community to come together and admire each other's latest work. This is a shawl. It's called Lava Lake. It's a... This is probably my favorite group. So you've got your friends, you've got your yarn, you've got many places to shop local, you have instructors, you've got a community now, all because of some alpacas. And the only thing that you need now is to develop a minor spending problem. Then you'll be a real fiber artist. I am at House of Yarn. I'm about to walk in. I estimate that I will spend $52 in here. I don't have to give anything though, that's the thing. It's a powerful lesson that I have yet to learn. Okay. Okay, I see one thing that I definitely want. No, I kind of, I like this other one more though, but I think it's going to be so blue. It's something that costs $4. I'm too pretty to do math. Okay, I came in under budget. I'm really proud of myself. Kind of slayed. I'm Elizabeth Burton, and this is Nashville. Thanks for that, Elizabeth, and the assist to Magnolia McKay. My guests are local fiber artists, Rin M.O., Erica Hundley, and Deb Peterson. Thanks again to you all for being with us. Really appreciate it. You know, it's really cool to discover where local yarn comes from. The farm-to-table concept, it goes way beyond food, and I like that. I like that a lot. Now, you all own yarn shops. I have to ask you, how much yarn it's currently in your inventory at the moment. Deb, I saw your face. Oh. How much yarn do you have right now? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I, I only I only know it in my head as a dollar amount. So okay. I, I could say our shop is 1,450 square feet, 
And so we have cabinets that are with cubbies that are full, and then we have slat walls with lots of stuff is hanging. And so with the Indie Dyer community, as big as it is, and carrying a lot of that, you want to, we wanted to present it in a way that you could see the entire skein. If you put a skein inside a cubby, all you really see is the end of the skein. And so with the indie dyed things, there can be multiple colors in there. And so we started hanging it on slat wall and then you can see the entire skein. But we um, we have a lot of yarn in, in the store. I, <laughs> but I, you know, I have no idea. I can't tell you how many skeins or, you know, anything like that. What are your biggest sellers? Um, our big, our number one selling yarn right now has been has been this way for a while now, is an indie dyer from Jackson, Tennessee. It's called Big Sky uh, Yarn Company. And Cassie Parsons is the dyer. And people often ask me, they're like, she lives in Jackson, Tennessee, but it's called Big Sky. And the story there quickly is that she, her family moved to Montana. They moved to Montana. They missed the their community in Jackson. They came back. She had already created a name for herself with Big Sky, and so she kept it. I mean, mm -hmm. we could have Big Sky everywhere, right, yeah. in the world. So we have a DK from her. It's called Squish DK, and it is a 100% superwash merino. That is our number one selling yarn. We sell lots of um, Malabrigo, which comes from Uruguay, and those are kettle dyed. Those are variegated and then semi-solids. We carry uh, a lot of, uh, another one we do a lot of business with is is Blue Sky Fibers, which is in Minnesota. And we carry uh, wool stock, which is a line from them uh, of um, non-superwash wools. And that's kind of the trend now. Uh, what, what's the difference between superwashed and non-superwashed? Is, so, is it in, in the texture of it? It's in the care of it, and it can be in the texture as well. Superwash yarn has been treated so that you could... Machine wash it maybe at a gentle cycle, cold. Even the labels now, though, say they don't rec. Even though it says superwash, they don't recommend washing it in the machine. They do still say hand wash. What the trend is right now is uh, we're going, we're selling a lot more non-superwash, which means you'd have to hand wash it or dry clean it. Of course, we always recommend a hand wash. When you make a garment with something that's non-superwash, it tends to hold its shape a little bit better. Sometimes the superwash additive that's on the wool tends to make it stretch a little mm, bit. Okay. So, and, and things move around in the community, like the superwash speckled eyes were super hot a few years ago, and now people are going to more of the, we call it toothier wool. It's a little more coarse, but still soft. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned something. You mentioned indie dyers. Yes. And Rin, you are a dyer. Right. In, yes. Independent dyer. I am an independent dyer. Okay. Yes. So I really hear that it's not easy to do at all. What, what, what's, what's your method? How, how do you get it done? Explain the process for us. Sure. Well, I guess um, first I'll say that I am a particular kind of indie dyer. I'm a natural dyer. So I only use materials that are um, uh, extracts or whole plant materials from from plants um, and sometimes bugs um, <laughs> and mm. a couple of other things. But um, so I only really know that kind of dyeing. There are a lot of different kinds of ways to dye and there are a lot of different um, methods and materials that can be used to dye. Um, but I got started with natural dyeing. Um, and the reason I started with that is because I'm also a gardener and I have been for a long time. And so um, when I wanted to try to learn to dye because I really loved 
wool and yarn and knitting and I kind of wanted to make my own colors, I it wasn't even really a question. I was like, oh, I'll try this. I'll try this natural dyeing mm-hmm. thing. Um, and it was definitely a learning curve. It was very difficult at the beginning um, to learn how to prepare the yarn, how to, um, what kind of um, concentration to use some of the different preparations and the dyes. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from books. I learned a lot just by doing it. And I'm still learning now. I've been doing it four years now. And um, yeah, I still am learning how to do it. You you said something interesting. You mentioned that you use plants Mm -hmm. for dyes, but also bugs. Explain that to us. Um, Is that where you get like that, that, that cricket green from? No, it's (laughs) not cricket green, but there, there is actually a historical dye um, uh, so there's a couple of different bug things that can be used in natural dye that have been used for centuries, thousands of years. Um, cochineal, um, is one of the ones that's most well known. It's also known, um, just in the world generally as car, carmine red. I think, I don't know exactly how to pronounce that. I mm. think it's carmine, carmine red. Um, and it's used in, as a food dye, it's used, um, it can be used a, a couple of different ways, but, um, it can also be used, uh, to dye fiber and it has been for a really long time. Wow. Now, now Erica, the weather is getting cold. Mm-hmm. So I imagine this is the busy season. You just opened your shop earlier this year. That's right. How much yarn are you expecting to sell this time of year? (laughs) I don't even know how to estimate. And like Deb, I don't know how to estimate how much I have, but I will say um, I have a smaller inventory um, than Bliss Yarns has a wonderful inventory. I, my shop is in a small converted house. um, Mm -hmm. So I opened in April. I signed the lease in March opened in April. Um, so I have a small, I like to say cozy shop. And I knew starting out um, that I wanted to carry hand dyers and started looking at different dyers and different vendors of, of where I wanted, um, who I wanted to stock. And whenever I rented the space that had a full kitchen, um, that's when I decided I had the opportunity to also try my hand at hand dyeing. And so I've been doing that and that has turned into um, a little bit of what makes my shop uh, niche and, and set apart. There's only a handful of shops in the whole surrounding area, but I knew that I needed to do something a little bit different. And um, so uh, I have my own hand-dyed yarn that I sell and feature that as well as um, some other um, vendors as well. Oh, wow. Dev is pointing at some of your work. Uh, and it's really, I love that red. It's deep. It's beautiful, like a beet red almost. Now, question for you. Do you do natural dyeing like Ren? I don't. Um, so I use acid dyes. And um, as Ren said, I also learned from book. I got a book and just learned, um, I think it's literally how to dye yarn and fiber. Um, so I did a lot of uh, learning from that. Found a few videos and a lot of trial and error, like she said. So um, I had an art background, um, and like I said, I've dabbled in all kinds of arts and crafts, and I tie-dyed, so I kind of had a skill set that I thought might translate, and so I was able to do that. And so I started dying about that time in March um, whenever I, I got the space. Now, now, Rin, tell, tell me a little bit more about modus operandi. What... You you special specialize in dyeing your own colors for yarn. 
What's your most, po- most popular color? <laughs> Deb was just asking me this earlier, and, you know, it kind of changes year to year, um, but it is always, almost always some shade of red or pink. That's, mm. that's been the typical ones. And there's a lot of different ways you can get red and pink with natural dyes. And that's been one of the most fun things for me is just to like explore with the different dye combinations, with different methods to come up with new new shades of the same color. Now, now, Deb, Erica mentioned that she's a small shop, but and there's a few in the area. But from what I understand, it's a community that um, happens yes. with the shops and, and the fiber arts and the, the owners of these businesses. That's really not common for competitors to help each other. What sets the yarn and fiber community different? I definitely, I'm glad you said that because we we are a community and all of us know each other, love and respect each other. And so especially during the pandemic, when we had shut down and we had limited time, we couldn't have customers in the store, um, you know, it was a scary time for, for everyone in the world, but it was, it was especially scary for someone who owns a small business. And so that's when we all really kind of pulled together. And so, uh, I had Meg who owns the house of yarn and then Glenna who owns the Ewan company, which is in Kingston Springs. They reached out to me and the three of us did several collaborations where we did what we called a three shop shawl. So it was a shawl that required three skeins of like worsted weight yarn. Just that's just a particular weight of size of yarn. And you grabbed a skein from each of our stores to create it. And so we ourselves each created one that we had in our store and we promoted it and like released it and put it out on social media in our in our newsletters as well. And we had people um, just reaching out to us and saying, this is so incredible that you guys are putting your you know, your friendships and your businesses, you know, in, in, in the forefront. And we, we do help each other out a lot. And now we have, of course, Rin's been around in our, in our community for a while. Now we have Erica. Now Erica has been a longtime customer of ours and she was one of our original, uh, knitted knocker gals. Mm -hmm. We have a, it's a thing for breast cancer and we get together once a month at the store. And so Erica's was part of that early on when we Mm. began that. But I do love that we have this community that we can turn to each other. And we did that a lot, again, in the pandemic, where bouncing ideas off of each other and trying to navigate through it. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm going to ask a lot more about Knitted Knockers in one second, but let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about the fiber community and how it's taking time to dive into crafts and helps create connections and friendships. What is crocheting or knitting taught you? You can tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been talking about the fiber arts community in Middle Tennessee. We were learning about the origins of local yarn and how to dye them, and some of the personal benefits by taking time to knit something together. Now let's talk about the community at large. What happens when groups of people get together to knit and crochet? My guests are local fiber artists, Rin M.O., Erica Hundley, and Deb Peterson. Again, thanks to you all for being with us. Now, you know, Deb, you were talking about the community and how you all help each other out. And something that's interesting to me is like a lot of people these days, 
it's a lot of attention and focus on taking a, a, a hobby and turning it into a side hustle, you know, something to make money to generate. But it feels like here in the fiber community, it's a lot different. Erica, talk to me about what you've experienced being in the community. Yeah. First, I just wanted to tack on to what Deb was talking about with community among the yarn shop owners. So uh, as the newbie who just opened the shop in April, um, I've just been blown away at how supportive uh, the other shop owners have been, especially Deb. Um, I might get choked up because she's just been so sweet and has sent business my way. Um, She's gone out of her way to um, promote me in her own shop. And I got chills because I just don't know any other businesses or communities that would do that, that would tell their customers in their shop, hey, there's a new shop up in Goodlettsville. Have you been up there yet? She dyes her own yarn. You should go see her. So I have had many people come in my shop and say, yeah, I heard about you from Bliss Yarns or from Deb. And it just, I mean, it warms my heart and I just appreciate it so much. And I've also had um, that same experience from uh, some other shop owners too, where customers come in and say that they found out about me from uh, other surrounding shops in the Middle Tennessee area. I, I just wonder if you all have customers who are hunting for the next latest thing in yarn. They're going from Deb shop to Erica shop. You got a bunch of those, Deb. You're shaking your head. Yeah. 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 Uh, so in our community, like social media has a huge influence in the fiber community. Mm. And so uh, there are hot right now, di- you know, dyers, hot right now designers, and sometimes they collaborate. And so some we all carry different things. We carry some crossover things, but not not a lot. And so if a person comes to my my store and says, "Okay, I want to make this this late, latest Andrea Maori, you know, sweater." And it calls for spin cycle, which is a yarn that's created out on the West Coast. We we don't carry that. We don't carry anything that's even similar to it. It's a rather unique yarn. I know that House of Yarn carries that, so I'm going to send them to House of Yarn. Mm-hmm. I would rather they spend their money in our local uh, community than tell them to get it on online. Mm-hmm. And so then when we send people to Erica's store, we send them there. I know she has like Barocco Products, Plymouth, maybe other larger companies too, but we send her, we tell them about her hand-dyed. Okay. And of course, Rin has her own sp- story about where she, where you can find her things. But yeah, some people are looking very specifically for something and then, but we can usually find something. If it's not the exact yarn, we can give you a sub, a good substitute. Okay. Now, Rin, it sounds like everyone has their own niche within the community, yet they're very supportive, right? Yes, definitely. So um, I, I found from when I first started, there were two other companies that were already dying yarn in Nashville that, um, I became friends with and, um, we've really helped each other, each other out over the years or given suggestions or just generally supported, um, uh, Sylvia from Camellia Fiber Co. and Lou from Old Rusted Chair are two people who they also, um, have their own shops and also sell at House of Yarn, which is where all of mine, my yarn is stocked. And it's really um, it's been really great to find that support and find that um, that connection in something that can be um, like can be competitive in other fields. And mm-hmm. um, I think especially, you know, I was moving out of when I started my business, I had never run a business and I had never <laughs> um, done an 
done an art for sale before. And so both of those things were really new to me. Um, so, yeah. And they helped you out. Now, yeah. a question for you. Do you all prefer to work on your fave fiber arts, crocheting or knitting alone or within groups? Or do you do a little mix of both? I Rin? like both. I, I really started really on my own and I still do like to do a lot of it on my own. Um, but I love to meet up with people. And um, there was a group that I um, met with almost every week a couple years ago. Now I've, I, I just recently started up with another group every week and, and it's really nice and also kind of keeps me on track on some of my projects. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, I got to get to the next step in my project where it can be a little bit mindless so I can like have fun and chat with people. Um, yeah. Erica, you have a weekly hangout group, right? Yeah, so every Thursday from 2 to 5, I have afternoon tea, and that's a time where people can just come and hang out and bring their projects, and knitting and crocheting is very much a community sport, if you want to call it that, it's a community <laughs> activity, where people like, they enjoy getting together and working on their projects, and like Rin said, you've you've got to have the right project <laughs> to work on in a social aspect so you don't mess something up too bad. So you normally have lots more than just one project. You might have one that you need to work on independently at home where you're really paying attention, um, but then mm. you might have your social project that you can do more mindlessly. But it's been really amazing to see the community that has already formed in a short time. So when I opened the shop in April and started having the open knitting and crochet time, and now I have a regular group who come every Thursday or every other Thursday, but they all now have gotten to know each other and um, you get to see what other people are making. Um, People learn a lot from each other and help each other out, but it's just a great time. And sometimes the room is full of chatter and everybody's laughing and talking. And then sometimes we're all just sitting there silently knitting, but we're all having a great time. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like that pizza party vibe from the tape we listened to. You know, now Ren, talk to me because you're, you're here sometimes with complete and total strangers and you don't have, you may not have, you may have different political opinions. You may have different opinions on society. However, you have this commonality of knitting and the fiber arts. What does that mean for you to get to know someone different? You know, someone, a a stranger, you get to know them in an intimate level. I think that's been one of the most important parts of crafting for me is to instantly be able to connect with somebody, um, a stranger or somebody you're really close with, um, just over the fact that you have this shared interest and that you can learn from each other over it. And so I think, um, or, or even just share like joy. I think that that's something that can be missed, um, in a lot of group settings where people might come from different backgrounds, different ages, different political beliefs. Um, and I think, being able to share joy and share um, color and touch, like you're you're literally physically touching something, and I mm-hmm. think that there's there's something about that that um, can be really connecting. Mm-hmm. Now, connecting, and you all are of service, Deb. You mentioned knitted knockers a little bit before. Tell me more about that project and what it is. Yes, it's uh, an organization that started out in Washington State by a, a woman, and it is. They are um, inserts for people, women who have had mastectomy, Mm. who have chosen not to do reconstructive surgery. And so until this came along, the the inserts were uncomfortable. Uh, There was one that was out there that was the only thing out there for a long time. It was just like a little bean bag. 
and it it just didn't fit right. It didn't feel good. And so we use um, 100% cotton, and there is a list of yarns that are approved by this organization. So it's um, you can find them at knittedknockers.org. And then we have a chapter here in Nashville. So ours are Knitted Knockers, and we are the sponsor for it at our store. And our little our little group that gets together and knits are the Bliss Bosom Buddies. The Bliss Bosom a, Buddies. Have a little fun with that one. Okay. But we um, we they get together the um, second Saturday uh, second Saturday of the month, and they knit for a couple of hours. Sometimes it's knitting. You can crochet them. There are approved patterns that you can find at that website. And sometimes it's just stuffing them. Sometimes it's prepping them to be shipped. So we provide them at no no charge to anyone in, in this area and then outs, outside the area as well, like Alabama, Kentucky. Um, we've sent them as far as the West Coast sometimes when they are low on them. Mm. So it's a hap, it's bittersweet because we're it's a wonderful group of ladies that get together and do this. But the bittersweet part is that there is such a high demand for them, which makes us, you know, think about, you know, breast cancer really is a very serious thing. Mm -hmm. And the more we send out, the more we know there are, are women suffering with it. But uh, we we have a wonderful group, and Erica was one of our, our first knockers. And then we have, we have two ladies that headed up for us, Beth Weiss and Luann Young, and we call them our head knockers. So... You know, we just have a lot of fun with it. You with guys it. have a lot of fun. We're having a lot of fun over there. You got the lingo down. Now, oh, yeah. has anyone who received knockers from you, have they reached out to you to let you know how much, how important it was to them? Oh, yes, yes. We get cards. We get emails. Um, I get them at the shop and then also the um, ladies that head up our group. Sometimes they come in the shop and tell us. But uh, that and that's that's wonderful to know that it's changing their life. Yeah. And so they're always available. But. Anyone can contact us. They can contact the group here or the major organization that's out on the West Coast, and we can get them to you. No cost for the items, no cost for postage. Okay, okay. Now, before we go, we've got a couple minutes left. I want to see and hear about the projects that you all are currently working on. Deb, I see you've got something there. I do. Beautiful. What is this? What are you working on? Okay, so I'm working on a shawl that is called... Um, Hitch on the Move. It's by a designer, a German designer, Martina Beam. Uh, she's very prolific designer. Her things are always simple enough for just kind of every level of knitter. And so this is part of a collaboration. I'm so excited I can tell about it, that we are doing, Bliss is doing with Erica's store. Okay. So the red that you see here is from Erica, that she dyed herself. And then this colorway that's variegated is from an indie dyer we carry, Miss Babs yarns, and we've carried her for years. She's she's kind of a big deal. She's in the um, from East Tennessee, and mostly you can find her things at shows around the country. She is in a few shops, and we're super ha happy to have her. But we're going to do this shawl, and we're going to put it in our store, and we're going to promote it on our social media and my newsletters and drive some business to Erica's store. Erica is like, is it north? North of Nashville. Yeah, north of Nashville. And um, so hopefully and hopefully we have one for her to have in her store too. And if if I could I could be happy to make it for you. We'll pick out some <laughs> other colors. How it, how much more time do you have on that shot? Uh well I've I'm I'm a multi project person, so okay. I'm trying really desperately to get this one done. So probably another 
another week or two and I'll have it ready to go. All right. And so just a way for us, like we, we did before during pandemic, just kind of get, you know, get, get some business brought to her cause she's new and let the word get out and maybe people could touch her yarn and think and see it and know that it's so lovely. I can't wait to touch it myself. Mm-hmm. All right, Erica, briefly tell me, explain to me what you have here. All right. I have a wrap. It's a double triangle wrap uh, by Pearl Solo is the designer. And the deep purple is my hand dyed yarn. And um, so that is beautiful. Thank you. So this is one of my more mindless um, projects that I can work on on the go and during afternoon tea times. All right. That's awesome. Rin, what do you have here? I have two things. The first one is that dinosaur sweater I mentioned earlier. So that's that's my more complicated project. Um, oh, those dinosaurs look, know. wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, you are very detailed. Uh, yes, this is the fossil frenzy tee, um, but I'm turning it into a sweater. Um, and then, so that's my complicated knit. Um, okay. As was mentioned earlier, sometimes we need to have a complicated knit and a simple knit. And then my simple knit is, this is just called the As Friends Tank. Um, and it's just my little mindless knit. And this is knit in um, yarn that I dyed, um, cotton yarn. So. How long would it take to knit a This Is Nashville beanie cap? <laughs> One oh. size fits all. Oh, I could do that. I could probably do that in a couple days for you. A couple days? Oh, yeah. Wow. You're a real pro. Mm-hmm. Just knit fast. fast. Just knit fast. Just, Everyone knits at their own pace. And some people are a little, you know, just depends the speed. It doesn't have anything to do with the outcome. You knit at your own pace. It's beautiful. You're enjoying it. But I just knit a little, little fast. So, and of course, I'd hustle. I would make you. I would make you. I would love to do that. Oh wow! Well, thank you very much. I might commission you <laughs> okay. for that. I want to thank my guests, Rin M O, yarn dyer and owner of Modus Operandi. Erica Huntley is the owner of Knitting in the Good and also a yarn dyer. And Deb Peterson is owner of Bliss Yarns. I want to thank you all so much for being here, and thanks for keeping us cozy in the winter. (laughs) And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced and directed by Elizabeth Burton. Laura Boach is our technical director. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Melissa Harris and Becky Ann Smith. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.